onto our sermon. So we're, uh, today I'm not actually going to do like a classic sermon. This is more like an extended testimony. I think of it like um, if we were all like a big 12-step group, this would be the step 11 talk. You know, where you have a speaker come and they do a talk on one of the steps. This is the step 11 talk. With the step 11 is uh, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God. And um, the, the title for the special 12-step talk that we're having today is How I Learned to Calm Myself. How I Learned to Calm Myself with, um, with Prayer. So about 10 years ago... I started experiencing episodes of acute anxiety. I had the first of what turned out to be several panic attacks. Um, these, I think, were work-related. I, I, at that time, so 10 years ago, 2008, I was quickly becoming, let's say, out of step with my denomination at the time, which was an evangelical denomination. I was actually a national leader in that organization. I was on the board, so it was hard to hide. And um, things like I had no beef with evolutionary science. I, I thought climate change was something that we ought to address. And that was part of a faith perspective, like we should take good care of the environment. Um, being somewhat naive, I, I spoke up on these matters. I don't, not in an obnoxious way, I don't think. It didn't seem like a big controversial thing to do at the time. But I learned otherwise, more within my broader broader denominational system and at the same time I was in the middle of changing my mind on the LGBT question, the theological, biblical, pastoral um, ramifications of that. So my first panic attack occurred when I was supposed to fly to Oslo, Norway to be part of a by invitation, all expenses paid expedition to the Arctic believe it or not, uh, sponsored by National Geographic, an environmental scientist that I had met, Carl Safina, and we had done some work together. If you were in the evangelical world and you were left of Attila the Hun, then you were celebrated as this, like, you know, <laughs> wonderful person. And if you were like a mid-level leader, like I was like a mid-level leader, you, you got invited to things that they would normally only invite like super high-level leaders in the religious world. So that's why I was on this, this Arctic expedition. And I, it turned out I was one of two evangelical leaders. The other was the head of the National Association of Evangelicals. And the, and the other religious leader was the chief lobbyist in D.C. for the Catholic Church, John Carr. But it included a guest list like Ted Turner, the founder of CNN, uh, Larry Page, the founder of Google, had dinner with Larry Page and his new wife, uh, the head of the RNC, Ken Molman or something like that, uh, Madeleine Albright, former Secretary of State, Chevy Chase. Uh, from Saturday Night Line was on the cruise. Van Jones, the, guy, the commentator on CNN now, he wasn't known as the famous guy. Meg Whitman, the CEO of uh, Hewlett Packard, who was a presidential candidate for the Republican Party back then. So I was like totally out of my league. And this was like a group of 50 people, and I was going to be on this in enclosed quarters for... Um, for a week with them and sure enough like two hours before I'm to get on the plane to fly to 
Oslo and then go to Svalbard and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. I had a classic panic attack. I knew enough from my community mental health background, the nursing background, that what it was. But oh my gosh, if you've never had a panic attack, number one, don't. Uh, number two, you will realize that you would do anything in the middle of a panic attack to stop having a panic attack. I mean, if there was some outrageous thing that you could do that you otherwise wouldn't do in order for it to stop, it's one of the most miserable experiences you can have. And I had, I had been experimenting with some like calming prayer things. And I, I pulled everything out of my bag of tricks to deal with. I was in the shower. I was, I was like doing like this. I was like comforting myself to, you know, to see if I could actually make it to the airport to go on this thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm having a heart attack. I need to, I need to go to the ER. But no, that's crazy. I don't actually have those symptoms. Miserable. Um, two months later, I went on an Alaskan cruise for some national board meetings for my then denomination. And I told some fellow board members my concern about the traditional teaching on LGBT and they were alarmed and that anxiety kind of like came uh, toward me and when the ship got back to port the, the, the board would meet twice a year and this was a cruise you know in Alaska I had been to an Arctic expedition this lame cruise on carnival lines or whatever was like oh man that's nothing compared it was pretty funny I would have loved to have gone on a cruise before that um, when we came back to port, you know, you can't get the signals and stuff when you're out there. It was the economic meltdown was happening, you know. Um, Goldman Sachs and Bear Stearns and, you know, the, 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 all the information flowing about the banks collapsing and the implications for the auto industry in southeast Michigan about ready to collapse. That was well underway was, as we came back to port. My next panic attack <laughs> occurred on a flight to Minneapolis where a small group of Christian leaders convened by Phyllis Tickle and Brian McLaren, about a dozen people were invited to talk about sexuality. Um, this small group included some, um, I'd say significant leaders, uh, who, uh, Christian leaders who were themselves gay, um, an, an Episcopal priest from uh, San Francisco, I forget the name of the church, St. Gregory's, and they had been part of uh, an ex-gay ministry that had been founded by the Vineyard and had a very negative experience of that, and they were telling their stories, and I was there partly to like hear their stories as a as a pastor in the denomination that spawned those uh, ministries. Um, so on, a, on my way to, the, to this set of meetings, I'm walking into the plane down the like gangplank. The fact that I call it a gangplank is probably... <laughs> and I, I was having these strange feelings like, um, you know, who's that guy? Who's that, that, that guy who does uh, commentary? John Madden. I hear he doesn't like to get on planes because, you know, he's freaked out by being in planes, so he, he drives the bus all over the place. I'm thinking about John Madden. And then I'm like, why am I thinking about John Madden? Like this, and I sit down and I'm like, oh, I'm having a panic attack in the plane. It's happening now, my heart is racing. I wonder if I can get off the plane. I wonder how I get to Minneapolis if I got off the plane. I, when do they close the doors? If they close the doors, am I going to feel trapped? Am I going to jump out of the window to get out of this plane while it's flying? Crazy things go through your mind. 
when you're having a panic attack. It was the claustrophobia. It wasn't the idea of flying that was getting to me. It's like, note to self, I think I'm having problems with anxiety. That happened as I'm flying to um, Minneapolis. <laughs> so um, the next interesting thing that happened is I developed tinnitus around this time. This was just a bad phase for me. I developed tinnitus. Tinnitus, if you don't know what it is, is ringing in the ears. Most people will have tinnitus for like three or four or five seconds. You know, you're like, well, what's that ringing in my ears? And then it slowly fades away. That's normal. That that's pretty much happens to everyone. Occasionally, it'll um, just stay on. And I, I developed this kind of constant, high-pitched ringing in my ears that didn't go away. Um, and when this happens, it makes people quite anxious. I, I read an article about it, and apparently the, um, the brain uh, processes the fact that you're having tinnitus when it stays on like that through the alarm system. So your, your alarm system is definitely going off because your brain's trying to tell yourself it's not right to have a high-pitched sound in the middle of the head. Maybe there's a fly inside your head and you need to do something, you know, it's like a, it's like a thing. So, um, so it's difficult to normalize to tinnitus at first. And fortunately, I had been experimenting since about 2000 with different meditative ways of praying. Um, but because I had tinnitus, I couldn't do those ways of praying because closing my eyes and being calm for 10 minutes or something, all I would do is focus on this crazy noise in my head and the anxiety would, would get worse. So I read a book called The Relaxation Revolution by Herbert Benson. He's a Harvard researcher. It's a cheap book on Amazon, I think eight bucks. And um, at Harvard, they established that um, there's a thing called the relaxation response. And that if you trigger the relaxation response, um, your blood pressure goes down, your cortisol goes down, that's a stress hormone, and um, you actually get like a, a measurable physiological benefit that lasts for the entire day. And the way to trigger the relaxation response is to do a 12-minute meditative exercise. So, and I'm, I'm reading through the book, and tinnitus is one of the things that's supposed to help, along with insomnia and, a, you know, a whole bunch of host of other things that are connected to anxiety or are worse in the, in the presence of anxiety. So I forced myself to do this 12-minute calming practice, timed it, even though it was kind of difficult with the tinnitus. I, I figured out ways to do it that, uh, like with my eyes open, looking at a candle instead of closing my eyes, having music at the right pitch in the background, this kind of stuff. So I did, I got back to my meditative 12-minute kind of thing. I did it like religiously once a day for six weeks and sure enough it normalized my brain to the tinnitus. So now it's, it's in the background but I'm not paying attention to it, and I don't, you know, worry about it. I can live with this. Um, so all of that kind of converged within the, the context of about a year's time, and Psalm 131 became super helpful and important to me. I think we used Psalm 131 as part of the quiet reflection last, um, last Sunday, and Here's what it did for me. 
Yeah, in terms of like how I, I process being interested in God and wanting to walk with God and have a friendship with God and having, having anxiety, the way I put those two things together was I thought, well, God is a God of peace. He should make me peaceful. And I'm anxious and I want to be peaceful. And so I would, I would like ask God, make me peaceful, make me peaceful. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Apostle with Robert Duvall. It's about like 15 years ago, Robert Duvall. was kind of a pretty good actor at the time. And he's this Pentecostal preacher in this movie, The Apostle. And there's a scene where he's up in the attic and he's praying in his Pentecostal way. He's yelling at God. And what he's doing is just yelling over and over, give me peace, give me peace, give me peace, give me peace for like 10 minutes. And he's like all wound up, like saying, give me peace. That was kind of my model <laughs> for connecting the fact that I was trying to have a connection with God and the fact that I was experiencing anxiety. It was kind of like, you have the peace, would you please give it to me? And that approach was actually making my anxiety worse <laughs> because like, I was just getting frustrated that I was still having anxiety in spite of the fact that I was asking for this peace and I stumbled upon Psalm 131. Let me read to you again Psalm 131. Pay attention to the second image in particular. Lord, my heart has not been haughty, nor have my eyes looked too high, nor have I striven for great things, nor for things too wondrous for me. But I have calmed and contented myself like a weaned babe on its mother. Like a weaned babe, I am with myself. Wait, O Israel, for the Lord now and forevermore. Now, I, I had read that psalm many times. And I had not really paid attention to the words of the psalm. And so the image in my understanding there was that I'm the child, I'm the babe, God is the mother, and he calms me down like a good mother does for a babe. But that is not the image. The image is of a weaned babe on its mother. Like a weaned babe, I am with myself, or I am with my soul. And the idea there is that at a certain stage in life, we have to learn to calm ourselves. And calming yourself is like a really important skill to learn as a human being, so you don't have to nurse for the rest of your life, for example. Um, and this is the image of the weaned child with the mother that is the centerpiece of Psalm 131. And it realized, oh, I have a responsibility to try to do things that will help calm myself. Um, it's, it's kind of a like, lot like dental care, good dental care, you know. Um, you can like outsource all of your dental health to your dentist and say, I'm, I want to have good dental health, so I'm going to go to a great dentist. And, um, but the great dentist will tell you, well, you have a part to play in your dental health, <laughs> you know, like brush your teeth, you know, like twice a day, twice a day, and for two full minutes, brush your teeth. Two full minutes? Yes, two full minutes, twice a day, brush your teeth. That's like the thing you're supposed to do. And so the best way to maintain 
dental health, isn't this great mansplaining from the pulpit, is to, you know, do your part, brush your teeth twice a day for two minutes, and go to the dentist, and he can help you with it, you know, or she can help you with the, you know, big dental problems you face in your life. Well, Psalm 131 kind of triggered this, oh, I could, I, I need to be intentional about some practices that will help me to calm myself. So these are the four things I do every day to calm myself. This has been my 20-year uh, um, journey on dealing with um, anxiety. Um, first, I walk every day. My average steps this year are 15,000. I believe that is uh, pretty close to six miles a day. I get, I, you know, my iPhone does that. Um, I do not do that to maintain my svelte uh, figure, but I do it to calm myself. I do it because of anxiety. And I don't, I don't do it like, oh, if I walk, then I'll feel calm. But if I walk in my life in general, then anxiety in general is better in my life than if I don't get up and move around. So I walk um, 15 steps a day, 15,000 steps a day. 15 is really different than 15,000. Um, and I do that rain or shine or snow or sleet and uh, um, oh praise me, I walk 15,000 steps a day. <laughs> um, the, the second thing is I created and I maintain a calming prayer place in, in my home, my domicile, wherever it is. Um, I will describe to you my calming prayer place. Um, I, I got a nice chair from Ikea that's navy blue. It's a calming color. It's canvas. You can lean back in it, but it, you know, it's not a, you don't need to know every detail about the chair. Um, I have my little Bose speaker, little Bose speaker connected to Alexa, my Echo Dot Alexa. She knows a lot of music, and she plays music for me when I ask her. I have a candle. I have a lava lamp. Don't judge me. I have a lava lamp. <laughs> I am a baby boomer. Give me a break. Um, I have a model sailboat. I have, I have plants. I have, I have uh, special sacred-to-me objects. The first thing I wanted to be growing up was a sanitation engineer, a garbage man, because I saw the garbage mans, you know, in men in, the, in, the, in Detroit, they were all men at that time, and um, online I found a, a, the actual garbage truck of the 1950s, and I ordered it, and I paid a little bit too much money for it, <laughs> but it's like a sacred object, I keep it there. Um, I have a bust of a, of a past president that I got when recent developments made me more distressed. So I have a bust of this favorite past president of mine. That's like one of my cool things. Um, I have a few other items, but I, I pick them out carefully and I try to keep that spot in the house not too messy. And I don't do anything in that chair that's stressful. Like, all I do in that chair is I go there to have my little calm place. It's kind of like kindergarten where there's the calm center or whatever. That's it. Um, I created and maintained a calming prayer place at home. That's the second thing. Walking's the first in case you're keeping notes. Um, third is I developed a prayer routine that I just do whether I'm inspired or not. And I started this in the year 2000 and I stumbled into the Divine Hours, which Emily taught on 
last week. We're in a little prayer sam uh, sampler series for Lent. Um, the Divine Hours is basically, it's a book about like this and a, a, a episode of prayer. There are four you can do through the day. is about a page long. And you literally you just open the book to the, to the appropriate day and you read, say your prayers, including the Lord's Prayer, the Glory Be to the Father, uh, little snippets from the psalm, a little short reading from uh, the Bible, and it's in a kind of a rhythm, and you just say your prayers. I developed that routine so that I didn't have to, like, fuss over what I was going to do to pray when I needed to pray, but I didn't know how to pray, if that makes sense. So I took a while, it took me a couple of years to kind of develop the the routines, and I do that at least twice a day. Often I do it three times a day. Sometimes I do it four times a day. Usually twice a day is about when I do it, when I get around to it. In the morning and before bedtime is the easiest times for me. But when I pray in my praying chair, in my calming place, I always have something I can do to start it off. And then the fourth thing, walking is the first, you don't need a rehearsal. I do a 12-minute calming meditation. Um, most days. I'd say I do it like six out of seven days a week. Um, I use a particular song to track the time on The Nature of Daylight by Max Richter. Um, it was a, the theme song of the movie Arrival, but I, I it's kind of like a contemporary, you know, soundtrack kind of music. Um, Alexa knows this song. And it's six minutes long, so I ask her nicely to play it again. So I get 12 minutes with two repetitions of On the Nature of Daylight. I've been using the same song for, oh, years. Um, and I'll pray the Jesus prayer during that 12 minutes. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or the Sarum prayer, the prayer that we pray on Sunday uh, mornings that we've been featuring during Lent. God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. God be in my heart and in my thinking. God be at my end and in my, depart uh, my departing. And uh, especially when I'm alone, I do the gestures. I hate gestures, when, especially in church, when people make you do hand motions. I'm out of there in a heartbeat. When I was a charismatic, occasionally people would try that in charismatic worship. And I'd be like, I'm out of here if you make me do hand gestures. But in the privacy of my praying calling place, I feel fine about doing hand gestures. So um, I'll do that with the Sarum prayer. And I'll do it for 12 minutes. Um, and after a while, I can just like do the 12-minute meditation kind of free form without doing a lot of the meditative praying thing. You, you kind of acclimate to it when you've done it for uh, day after day for a while. Um, here's how it works interactively for me. So during my daily walk, and usually to get 15,000 steps, you have to take at least one like longish walk. Um, I'll notice that... Um, if I notice I'm feeling like funky, anxious, or I'm distressed about something or whatever, you know how you can go through a whole day and you're just busy doing one thing after the next and things are capturing your attention and underneath that, you're actually distressed about something, but you don't like pause long enough to say like, am I distressed? Like um, after, my, after Nancy died, I would forget to eat. Um, 
and I just wasn't paying attention to my body. And I'd, I'd be going through the day and I'd be like, oh, I feel really grumpy. I'm not usually irritable and grumpy like this. And I thought, when's the last time you ate? And it was like hours and hours and hours ago. So like, I just wasn't paying attention to what was going on. We do that often when we're going through like a busy day, when it comes to being distressed about something, something's under our craw. And, and so, but when you're taking a walk for an extended period of time, a half hour, 45 minutes, or an hour, you don't have a lot to do with your mind. And you kind of have to pay attention to whatever it is that's bugging you. And you have to at least identify, I'm in a funky mood, or there's something bothering me. And I noticed that during my walking. And then if what I'll often do is just go to my praying, calming place, ask Alexa nicely to play on the nature of daylight twice, and I'll do a little 12-minute meditation, and I'll kind of like talk to God about it. Like, first starting with like, this is just how I'm feeling. I like, I feel this. I'm feeling, I'm feeling stressed or anxious, or I think I'm feeling frightened, or I'm feeling resentful, or I'm feeling bitter or something like that and I'll, I'll just I'll talk to God as though God is a really wise older um, and very um, sympathetic to me therapist and I, I just picture God that way I'll talk it through with God and often not every time but often over the course of you know a month or something I'll get like a little whispered sense. Like, maybe something like, you're doing fine. Or, you're doing the best you can. Or, don't sweat it. Or, look at it from this perspective. Or, try being thankful about this. Just little, little nuggets that I'll get. Sometimes if they're specific, I'll, I'll write them down. Like, ooh, I gotta, I gotta hold on to that. And that'll happen in the 12 minute. Thing, but that's like a processing through negative emotion kind of uh, kind of period. Um, so I've been using this routine for anxiety for the past ten years, when the anxiety really ramped up in 2008. But remember, I started um, trying out some of those prayer practices maybe eight years earlier. So almost 20 years have been kind of working on this project. Now I figure I'm easily 20 years older than most of you. So you're not that far behind. You could get started on a project like this if you're dealing with anxiety and it could actually be quite helpful for you. But you can't be thinking about it like, oh, I'm going to try, I'm going to try some method and it's going to work in 30 minutes and then, you know, I can get off my medication or whatever. This is not the way this, this is not the way human life works. It's not the way the spiritual life works for sure. But um, just to give you a sense of the timing of all this. So 2014 was my absolute test year for all this. So that year, I, you know, I lost my closest friends. I got married after being a widow. I moved out of my house of many years into my new wife's house. And I didn't own the house. It was like, felt like somebody else's house. I became a stepdad. I was missing four of my kids who had moved far away. And then the mother of all religious controversies broke out. And I, it was this super intense phase that lasted for five months, August till December. 
And there were good things going on in my life that were awesome during that time. But religious controversy when you're a pastor of the sort that I went through, it was a form of psychological torture. And usually I understate things in order to deal with them, but absolutely, it was a form of psychological torture. Um, there's an old spiritual um, or blues song, I, I don't know what genre it would be, but the refrain goes, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows but me. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows but me. And isn't that true about certain times of trouble? Like, um, no matter what kind of support system you have, no matter how wonderful your friends are, that certain kinds of intense trouble, you can really sing that song authentically, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows but me. The grieving a close lo loved one that, that you lost, um, divorce can be a, a thing like that. Um, getting a serious cancer diagnosis and then going through the treatment phase. Um, you know, I, I th having to deal with racism um, uh, as a personal daily experience. You know, I think of my African-American friends and I, I'm pretty sympathetic. I'm like, I'm, I'm supportive or what. Oh, there's no way I can understand what it's like to experience racism or sexism because of who I am. I can, be a, I can be, try to be a supportive friend, but if you go through that kind of experience, you can sing that song with feeling. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but me. Losing a job and having a hard time finding a new job. Oh my gosh, that's just, that sucks. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but me. Having a mental illness flare-up you know, you're dealing with bipolar disorder or something of that sort, and you have a flare-up, and you've got to get your medication figured out, and the medications aren't working, and your life just feels like it's spinning out of control, and that can last for four or five, six months. That can have a similar kind of trouble experience. When I was having my intense five-month experience, the thing that got me through was these practices. I kept the walking, and I ramped up the 12-minute meditation once a day to three times a day. I did it three times a day. I did it in the morning. I did it um, before or just after dinner. And I did it before bed. So here's something that I um, have in my special little calming place. Um, it's, uh, I, I inherited this from my mother. My mother owned this. It's a statue of a, of a mother and a young child. And to me, it, it reminds me of that Psalm uh, 131. And I found um, there's a Bobby McFerrin version of Psalm 23. You know, Bobby McFerrin, uh, don't worry, be happy. Does a lot of like um, rhythmic kinds of singing a cappella. He's got a version of Psalm 23 uh, in which the, um, he uh, speaks to God in Psalm 23 as a, as a mother. Uh, he had a very close relationship with his mother. And it's a, it's a really good version of Psalm 23, especially if it's helpful for you to think of God as a, as a mother. Highly recommend that. I did that like once a day in one of those three times. And I, I looked at this thing um, and that super 
help me. So I'm going to leave that up here in case you want to take a look at it. It's not a great statue. It's just a, it's just a thing, but it means a lot to me. So um, for our time of quiet reflection, I'm done saying what I'm going to say. Um, if we could pass out those uh, cards on the... Uh, I think we used this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Brad was going to help. Penny might be able to help. And pe there's pens. Um, on one side is that version of the serenity prayer that we went over. Um, but on the other side, it's blank. And what I'm going to suggest is that you literally write down this Robert Alter translation of Psalm 31. He's my favorite Hebrew translator. Um, I'll, I'll uh, read it out to you so you can take a couple of minutes and literally write it down. So writing it down is part of the exercise, so to speak. And then um, we'll just take a little time with that. Um, so this is what I've like, developed over my kind of spiritual path over the years is I'm very intentional about thinking of myself as a child in relation to God. Like I picture myself in relation to God as a child, like I would say like a preschool child, like conscious, aware, talking, but basically maybe a four-year-old child kind of fits in with this image. I want to clarify that I don't think of myself as a child in relation to you. <laughs> I don't think of myself as a child in relation to myself. I don't think of myself as a child in relation to the powers and principalities of this world. I think of myself as an adult and a fighting adult, if necessary. But in relation to God, I think of myself as a child. Um, and this psalm speaks to that reality. And so what, I, what I'd suggest that you do, as soon as these are passed out, I'll read this over a few times, this one line, it's verse 2, and I'll invite you to um, write it down. Um, that'll take a couple of minutes. And then I'll just invite you to sit with that for another minute, thinking of yourself as a child in relation uh, to God. And use whatever parent figure works best for you, a mother, a father, it could be an aunt, an uncle, whatever kind of fits, fits you on that. Um, so here it is. If, and, and of course, if this is not helpful or meaningful to you for any reason, then you can doodle or any, anything else with that. Um, but I have calmed and contented myself. But I have calmed and contented myself. It's about a third of it, by the way. But I have calmed and contented myself. But I have calmed and contented myself. Like a weaned babe on its mother with a dash after mother. Like a weaned babe on its mother. take it from the top, but I have calmed and contented myself like a weaned babe on its mother, dash, like a weaned babe 
I am with myself. Like a weaned babe, I am with myself. It's kind of fun to see how many of you are left-handed. Okay, now let's just take maybe 30 seconds or so and you can spend a little time with that Psalm 131 verse 2 and um, you could murmur it. Um, the Hebrew word for meditation is murmur. Um, they didn't know, there was no silent reading in that period so whenever they read Torah, read the, the teaching of the law, they would murmur it like quietly to themselves. Um, so you could do a traditional Hebrew meditation by just murmuring that. We'll give you a minute. A minute for murmuring. Okay. Hey.